Matthew 22, verse 39. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The lenses of love. The lenses of love. My friends, the Bible is a complicated book. It's far from an easy book to read and it's even harder to understand. This difficulty may explain why so many people pick up the Bible each year with sincere hearts to read and learn. Yet after a few late night attempts, it ends up decorating our nightstands or coffee tables. The truth is that more of us appeal to it than actually read it. And more of us invoke its authority than making sincere attempts to try to understand it. The Bible is full of stories, legends, and law recorded over a millennia. In fact, the term Bible comes from the Latin Biblia, meaning books. So the book that many of us think as a unified, coherent document is anything but. We have 66 books some as early as nine centuries before Christ, with other epistles of the New Testament written as late as a hundred years after Jesus' birth. And maybe this protracted process explains why it's virtually impossible to sit down and read the Bible like a straightforward linear narrative. Beginning with Adam and Eve, there are repetitious tales and contradictory claims. Oral stories take on new life with each generation. Different authors emphasize their own political and religious claims, and biblical writers took for granted cultural cues of the ancient world that are foreign to most of us today. Oh, my friends, there's a vast gulf between our world and the world of the Bible. And I suspect these are the reasons why the late biblical studies professor Dale Schmidt used to tell his entering students at Texas Christian University, you can take the Bible literally or you can take it seriously. Nevertheless, Despite the difficulty of interpretation, there remain those who speak with dangerous certainty concerning the Bible. Whereas responsible interpretation demands the skill of a surgeon's scalpel, many employ the Bible like a blunt butcher's knife. Rather than heal, the Bible then bludgeons. Rather than aid and guide, it becomes a weapon to defeat 
and to destroy. And that's exactly what's going on here in today's gospel lesson. Religious leaders seem threatened by Jesus' popularity. Religious leaders are living under Roman domination. Cultural insecurity caused religious elite to raise the bar of access to God's kingdom. Many took out their frustrations with Rome on their own people. Times of political vulnerability too often necessitate scapegoats. And it's important for us to remember that during times of social conflict, hatred can become quite acceptable, even when hatred masquerades itself as patriotism or piety. Thus the poor, those suffering from chronic diseases and the most vulnerable, particularly women and children in a society, can become easy targets of scorn. But it was the vulnerable who Jesus cared about the most. These are the people who Jesus saw. Some would say that Jesus started a Jewish renewal movement of sorts, for Jesus identified a recurring theme throughout the Hebrew Bible from the Pentateuch through the prophets. Jesus saw a God who identifies with those on the underside of power. God looks for those who we overlook. God hears the cries of those who we too often ignore, and God extends empathy to those who we don't even know exists. And it's this ability to see is what leads Jesus to call out and heal that woman with an issue of blood. It's this ability to hear that causes Jesus to stop and hear the cry of a blind beggar along the side of the road. And it's Jesus' capacity to empathize that leads people to seek him out as a unique and special teacher of God's kingdom. And it's this popularity, this popularity born of Jesus' compassion that ruffles the feathers of the religious elite. So what do they do? They attempt to trip him up. And like many anti-intellectual religious ideologues, they use the Bible as their weapon. The Pharisees, they approach Jesus, and one of them asks him a disingenuous question. Teacher, uh, uh, can you tell me which commandment is the greatest in the law? Of course, this is a trick question. There's over 600 laws recorded in the tradition, and like a malevolent inquisitor, this question would surely provide the Pharisees with an opportunity to pounce. Jesus, however, Jesus does not appeal to legalese. He appeals to compassion. Jesus, he brackets the religious argument to point 
to call God's call for warmth and empathy. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment, Jesus says. Then the second one is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. For on these two commandments hang all of the laws of the prophets. Love, compassion, empathy. Compassion, or what we learned the Buddhists call mita, begins with our capacity to see. For we cannot care about those who we fail to recognize. Similar might be said of warmth and empathy. We can't identify with those who we don't even know exist. So as long as you and I live in a state of plausible denial concerning the pains, the problems, the perils, the perplexities of other people in our world, then we can opt for an existence of blissful ignorance. Our world becomes the world. Our cares become all that matter. Egoistic self-absorption and myopic solipsism render us sinfully short-sighted. And I'm here to say this morning that this sermon would be easy, Brother Justin. It would be easy if it were just about our lack of apathy or our lack of empathy, if it was just about our apathy, oh, it would be easy to stand here before you this morning and wave my finger of judgment. You ought to show compassion. You're too self-absorbed. Think about somebody, Ed, besides yourself. That would be too easy. But the truth is this. I have met very few people in life that are truly cold-hearted. I've met few people who opt for evil and prefer anger over empathy. This leads me to believe that there's something else going on with us. There's something else about the human condition that causes us to opt for apathy and indifference over kindness and compassion. There's something else going on inside of our spirits. Maybe Jesus speaks to it when given the second greatest command. When Jesus says, love thy neighbor as thyself. A lot of us, we hear the first part of that command, but we miss the second clause, as thyself. For how many of us really spend time considering what that means? How many of us know what it means to love ourselves wholly and completely as God loves us? 
Let me be clear about something. I'm not talking about being proud of ourselves. I'm not talking about being impressed with our accomplishments, nor am I talking about finding happiness in personal achievement. I'm talking about the ability to love the person that you know the best. Yourself. Myself. Nobody knows your flaws like you. Nobody knows your insecurities as you do. Few understand what drives you or keeps you up in the midnight hour counting the sheep of self-doubt. Do you love that person? Not the one who gets made up each morning, not the one who's covered in cologne, nor the person who knows all the right filters on Instagram to conceal your blemishes. I'm talking about the person that you don't present to the world, the person who doesn't always measure up. Do you love that person? The one who's made some terrible choices and mistakes. The person that you keep hidden from the world. Do you love that person who's not as cool and put together as you project to your classmates? Do you love yourself? Rather than love that person, many of us just deny and conceal that person. We conceal that person from the world. And the, unfortunately, the more we conceal, the more we ultimately condemn that person. We're overly self-critical. We look at our reflection. We say, she's too fat. She's too skinny. She's not smart enough. He's too weak. He'll never be as successful as his blockmates. I can't forgive you for what you did. I blame you for that tragedy. You know what you did. You know what you caused. You got exactly what you deserved. Every day. You and I, we fail to show ourselves compassion. We refuse to extend grace to ourselves. Thus, sometimes I wonder if this is the root of the meanness in our world. Might it be that we're unable to love our neighbors because too many of us are unable to love ourselves? Could this be why we fail to show compassion and warmth to others? We're not compassionate toward the man or the woman who we see in the mirror each and every day. One of my favorite movies, Brother Herbert, my, one of my favorite movies is a hip-hop classic starring Tupac Shakur. 1992 American crime film entitled Juice. I'm sure you've seen it. Tupac, he played a troubled teenager named Bishop. Bishop gets pulled in a downward spiral of violence and despair. And at one point, Bishop says to his friend in my G-rated remix, he says, 
I don't give a care about myself. I ain't nothing and I ain't ever gonna be nothing so it's easy for me to do away with you. Of course, Bishop dies at the end of the movie, a victim of his own life of violence. But his character had already committed soul suicide long before his physical death. For our lives in the moment that we believe that we are not worthy of love. And maybe this is why Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to first love the Lord our God with all of our heart. And based on the love and acceptance of God, we can begin to love ourselves. More importantly, we can begin to see ourselves as God sees us. God doesn't care about our fickle and our fleeting social values, nor does God care about our grandiose claims to power. When God looks at us, God sees our fears and our flaws. God sees our imperfections and our impairments, and it's in our most vulnerable state that God beckons us. For where we are weak, God is strong. Where we're incomplete, God's love makes us whole. God wants us to see ourselves as our creator sees us through the lenses of love. On this past Friday evening, with some members of the Cambridge Community Foundation, I visited Y to Y, the Harvard student-run homeless shelter for youth. It's an amazing operation organized in 2012 when students discovered that most runaway youth and homeless Adolescents fear for their own safety in adult shelters. Not to mention that homeless teens and young adults have distinct needs. For instance, a disproportionate number identify as LGBTQ and have fled violent situations at home. Harvard student volunteers felt they could better address these needs in a designated space. And this is how Y to Y, or Youth to Youth, was born. I met a Harvard College junior Friday night named Shankar. One of the first things I noticed about Shankar was his cool, retro, horn-rimmed glasses. Like Shankar, they were both serious and fun. They were hip, yet sober. And I asked Shankar, what's been the most surprising thing he's learned or experienced in his time working in the shelter? His response captured the spirit of Jesus' teachings. Shankar said, I love to come in when I'm not working and just talk to the guests. What's most surprising to me is how little separates me from them. We share a lot in common regarding our struggles as young people. 
Many of them just have to do it with a, without a roof over their head or from a much more volatile home situation than my own. And that's why I figure that I can use my privilege at Harvard to help them in whatever way I can because when I see them and talk to them, I realize how easily that could have been me. Compassion, warmth, empathy. Immediately when I looked at Shankar's face, his horn-rimmed glasses took a different form. I saw them not as Ray-Bans, but as God's lenses of love. He didn't see merely homeless victims in need of pity, nor did he see troubled youth who've made poor decisions. Shankar saw fellow children of God, children of God with the same hopes, dreams, fears, and uncertainties as himself. Thus, he can love and treat them as he loves himself. And what would this world be like if you and I had enough love for ourselves that we might heed the words of Jesus? Love God. Love yourself. And then love somebody else. Why? Because when we do so, we fulfill all of the commandments. Let the church say amen.